Good morning, Vancouver 602 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Footwear Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. And did you know that uh, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, that's Canada's favorite orthotics provider. I was not aware of that. uh, Yes, you were, because I've said it multiple times on the show before. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Thank you, Jason. I turn the microphone over to the A-Dog, Andy Cole. Good morning, A-Dog. Good morning. How are you feeling? Uh, Well, you know, I'm waking up. I only ask because it seems as though the three of us had a rough night last night sleep-wise. Yeah, I went to bed a bit too late, you know. Now, if you don't mind me prying into your personal life, you and Mrs. A-Dog, what time did you guys go to sleep last night? Well, she usually falls asleep later than me, but I I, I try to get in bed by 9.30, 10 o'clock. Last night, I probably more like 11. Ooh. Just, just oh, wanted to watch some Breaking Bad, you know? You're, you're crazy, man. You're I know, crazy. I'm a wild crazy. one. 11 o'clock? Played, oh. a bit of, played a bit of canasta for an hour and then, uh, <laughs> put my socks on and crawled into bed. Alfred and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca. Or DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Finally, Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. What do these three tired dudes have in store for you today? You may be asking. Well, four guests to serve you better. We're going to begin the guest rundown. 6.30, Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer writer, is going to join us today. Canada will announce its roster for those two friendlies that they have with Uruguay and Qatar ahead of the World Cup. They also have one against Japan a week out of the World Cup, but this is the first real, how will I classify it, exhibition preseason campaign of great importance for this club. And John Herbin's going to announce his roster today. Peter will break it down for us ahead of the roster announcement. What are some of the key decisions that John Herbin has to make? You know, it's interesting because... There are some decisions at the bottom end of the roster. Like Cavallini? Right. Like, I don't know. I mean, he certainly hasn't played his way into anybody's heart recently, especially with his late run of play with the Vancouver Whitecaps. So there will be some decisions, basically, who gets on the plane and who doesn't. There were some decisions in the hanging in the balance because there are some dual nationals that have yet to decide who they want to represent internationally. Mm-hmm. Some people thought that Herdman could use the World Cup as a dangling carrot, like maybe you want to commit to Canada because you'll get to go to the World Cup. We'll ask Peter That'd be about interesting. that. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, and that is and force a guy off that's, that's been, right. like super loyal to the program. <laughs> hey, longtime Canadian person, you're not going to Qatar. So I'll talk to Peter about that at six thirty as we look ahead, not just to the roster announcement, but to, to those two aforementioned friendlies. Seven o'clock, Connor McGahee. Now we've had Connor on the show a bunch because. Uh, during the Colorado Avalanche run to the Stanley Cup, he was doing play-by-play for Altitude TV. What we learned while talking with Connor is that he's also the PA announcer for the Denver Broncos. He's an employee of the Denver Broncos. So we thought, hey, let's have him on and make fun of Russell Wilson. Right. Yeah. He was really appreciative when I booked him. He's like, thanks for booking me after the Broncos lose. This is great. <laughs> You're looking, welcome. Looking forward to it. Can't wait, Connor. He's going to join us at 7 o'clock. Three guesses about what we're going to talk about there. You know, I just wanted to say that. Yes. Um, so I, I was reading some things uh, last night um, just about the Seahawks win over the Broncos, and a lot of writers have pointed out just the, I won't say it's weird, but the remarkable amount of glee that 
former Seahawks yep. have taken in the Seahawks winning over Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. you just really have to wonder. So was he not well-liked in the room or something? Or Clearly. Clearly. Apparently not. And maybe more so than we ever thought. I think you and I, especially, having yeah. followed the team as closely as we did, we had an understanding that a lot of the guys – now, here's how I saw it. A lot of the guys on defense didn't like that Russell Wilson was getting that much shine and that much love because they mm-hmm. were like, wait a minute, this is one of the greatest defensive units of all time. We kind of went out and led the team to these Super right. Bowls. It obviously extends beyond that because one of the guys that was very – you can't say vocal because it was on social media, but very present on social media, like chirping Russell Wilson, was Doug Baldwin. Yeah, part of the offense. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it does come down to a little bit of what Dave Softy Mahler said on our show the other day that Russ just isn't that likable a guy. Yeah. If you got stuck with him in your foursome at golf, you'd be like, "This oh, is going to be a long be four a long. and a half hours. Right. Maybe I can yeah. leave after nine. And you wouldn't go out <laughs> for beers with him. He's yeah. not a go out for beers guy. So. We'll talk to I, you. I, I just wonder how much that Super Bowl loss just accelerated all those feelings as well. Oh, I, I doubt it helped considering all the leaks afterwards. It's like Russ called an audible at the line. That was Russ's decision. Russ wanted to win MVP by throwing the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Right? Yeah. Th- those are the great conspiracy theories that are out there. I'm not even sure they're conspiracy theories anymore. Mm-hmm. My head's all twisted around. I've been on the dark web reading stuff. Now I'm, I'm all twisted around. I got a whole bunch of lists. <laughs> you should see the Russell Wilson content on the dark web. It is fascinating. Um, so we'll talk to Connor McGahee at 7, but we've got some great audio about what Jason's talking about from Pete Carroll, who did radio yesterday and got asked about, why are so many of your former players so gleeful that Russell Wilson lost in their return, in his return to Seattle? Oh, he was asked that. Oh yeah, it was it was a really interesting remark, and you know uh, we'll we'll play it later. That's okay. a tease. Okay. That's how you do it in the radio industry. Uh, Seven forty-five as we continue the guest rundown. David Quadrelli is going to join us from Canucks Army. Uh, we'll get a recap of yesterday's news from Eight Rinks Scotia Barn out in Burnaby. Uh, Quinn Hughes on the right side of the defense, and Petey met with the media. Those were the two big takeaways there. Eight o'clock. Excited to have this guest back on the program for the second time. Cat uh, Jamie who is the director of The Grizzly Truth. And that is the new Vancouver Grizzlies documentary she's got coming out, kind of digging and peeling the layers back as to why the team left Vancouver, the causes for it, the reasons for it. She, of course, was on this show a few years ago, back when we were at 1040. She was in studio when she released Finding Big Country, which Mm -hmm. was her first Vancouver Grizzlies documentary. So excited to talk to Kat at 8 o'clock. 7.45, 7.45, it's Quadrelli. 7 o'clock, it's Connor McGahee. 6.30, it's Peter Galindo. As for the Sprots this evening, uh, the Jays continue their series versus the Rays. Got a big split in the doubleheader yesterday, so they've won the first two or three there. Ah, uh, your beloved Vancouver Whitecaps play out the string tonight at home against the LA Galaxy. That is a game. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I don't know why, but I'm going to go. I have I've tickets, so I've I got, should go. I've got tickets for the uh, October 1st game. Seattle game? Uh, no, 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 no. The the Whitecaps game. Are they? I think they're playing Seattle. On no, October it's 1st. Austin. Oh, it's Austin. Okay, it's Austin. Se- Seattle's on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So it's so it's their last. It's their last match. It's the last home match of the season. And I actually bid on these tickets in a silent auction. And I was thinking when I when I got them, I was like, ah, you know, like maybe that game will be big. It won't be big. Sure, you were speculating. That's good. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, most it people was do for it. a good cause. Yeah, most people do it with like stocks and mining. You did it with white caps. The, uh, the like tickets it. came with four scarves too, so the, most of the value in the purchase was scarf related. Sir, are you bidding <laughs> silently on scarves? Yes. yes, 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 I am. Speaking of the football, Champions League back today. Big day yesterday. Huge win for Liverpool at the death. Uh, today you got Napoli Rangers. Today you have the Erling Holland Bowl, Man City, and his former team Borussia Dortmund. And Benfica plays Juve. So a lot of good games on today as well. So wait a minute. Liverpool and Rangers are in the same group? Yeah. Oh, that'll be interesting. That group is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a bunch of sports to talk about uh, tonight, to watch tonight as well. But we need to go back and look at everything that happened yesterday. Hey, dog. Let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You You missed that? What happened? So, I've kind of coined it the triumvirate of very important Canucks forwards. And we've heard from two of them already. We heard from JT Miller after he signed his extension. We heard from Bo Horvat the other day as he awaits an extension. And yesterday, the media finally got to meet with Elias Pettersson. Petey speaks. Petey meets with the media at eight ranks. Sorry, Scotiabarn. Out in Burnaby yesterday. Um, it was an interesting conversation because a lot of people... When you're talking with Pedersen, the question still kind of remains, what the heck happened last year with you? Yeah. What was up with you last year? And it was a real tale of two seasons, as he put it. It was basically two different me's out there. Yeah, I liked that quote. It was two different me's. That's a tough one to transcribe. First half me, not mm-hmm. great. Second half me, back to normal. Out of curiosity, do you know how to properly spell me's? M-E-S. M-E-S, apparently. No apostrophe, no punctuation. I'm yeah. looking at it on NHL.com why, right now. Why would you use an apostrophe? I don't know. I've never seen the, the, the word mes. It looks like mes, right. actually, when you look at it. I'm like, yeah. there's, there was basically two different mes out there. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, oh, Petey. I actually watched his uh, his his hit. The, the, the Canucks account uh, tweeted out the video of his uh, availability. And it was typical Petey in that you can tell there is always a real hesitancy to, in his mind, overshare. Like, he gives you a little bit of a clue, yeah, but he really doesn't let you in. And I found it interesting that on a few occasions, including once on our show, but again last night, he made references to not making, to not wanting to make a headline. Like, he didn't want to say anything that was so grabby that the jackals here in Vancouver would run with that and maybe take his words out of context. I don't know what he's thinking. I'm now taking his words out of context (laughs) and starting to extrapolate (laughs) his comments. Um, Like, I get it. I I really get it. But I think when you you kind of parse through his words, which, again, is something he probably doesn't want us to do, Um, he was really in his own head last, last season, especially early on. Like he was, he was a little bit lost. Should we hear from the man himself rather than parse his words? No, I'd like to continue to parse his words and maybe do like an amateur psychological evaluation of Elias Pettersson. I think that would be responsible. That feels like the responsible big J journalism thing to do. What is really 
really driving Elias Pettersson? What is he running from? What is he fearful of? We should put his words in the Google translator, translate it from English to Swedish, and then back to English. I've booked a psychologist for the show. <laughs> at least, at least he's, at the, he says he's one. Um, he's in the inbox right now. <laughs> all joking aside, let's hear from Elias Pettersson now on the mental side of his game and how, as Jason said, he doesn't want it to be a headline. I mean, I don't want it to be a headline at all. Sounds like a lot of what you learned up with that, or is that just was it all just no? I don't want to think. I mean, I don't want it to be a headline at all. I, I, <laughs> I met a mental coach, and now I'm feel good again. <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I like to. I'm pretty stubborn myself, and I'm always talk to my parents after every game. I talk to my brothers and oh, brother. I don't have. And just the people closest to me, um, those are the ones I talk to the most. So he went on to say his start last season wasn't the way he wanted to start, obviously. But he said he's grown from that. Uh, said he played with more confidence at the end of the season. I thought this was an interesting mark that he said he was somewhat happy that he went through last season. Yeah. Because he learned how to get out of it. He learned why it happened. Now, he didn't go into these reasons again. Um, time to parse. And he also actually said, I don't have the exact answer why it happened. I like to think I've learned from it. So with all that he said Mm -hmm. and all that he went through, and he said he has a reasonable confidence that he knows what happened and how he got out of it. I think it just, um, I think it just reemphasizes how important it is for him to get off to a good start to the season. Otherwise, maybe he's back in his head. And also, if he doesn't get off to a good start to the season, it makes it harder for his team to get off to a good start to the season. And we all know how important it is for the Canucks to get off to a good start to the season. For me, he is the guy to watch in preseason and training camp, even though... Yesterday, we said Thatcher Demko is the most important player on the team. And even though GT Miller has signed this big contract extension that a lot of people were like, oh, I don't know if you should do that. Elias Pettersson is the guy for me to watch. Well, I mean, I think you could make a direct correlation and, and, you know, who knows what caused what, what the chicken, what the egg. But the first half of the season is what sunk the Canucks and ultimately kept them out of the playoffs. The first half of the season is when Pettersson really, really, and let me emphasize, really struggled. With his game now. And by the way, he didn't want to hear any of the excuses that people were making for him last season, talking about his wrist or, you know, he went to a new stick or something along those lines. Like everything that we were saying on this show that he just looks like he has no confidence. He looks like he's, he's, he's lost even his ability to handle the puck. Um, and it's just a completely mental thing. Like he basically admitted, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like no excuses. And I loved hearing that mm-hmm. like no excuses. I just lost my confidence. I, he said, um, he was focusing on the wrong things, uh, what people wanted to see from him as opposed to his own game. What got him to that point? I thought it was, it was, it was, um, I, I, I liked the availability. Like it was typical PD in that he was a little bit guarded sure, or even a lot guarded. Um, but you know, I, I have high hopes for him this season. I think he's going to have a good season. He needs to have a good season, uh, not only for the Canucks next season, but I think big picture for the franchise. If he doesn't have a good season, and it's one of those situations where 
you can't trust him and you don't know what's going to happen on a night-to-night basis or at the beginning of the season or at the end of the season, it's hard to commit to this guy long-term for the type of contract that he's going to command. Yeah, if you're going to go with, is he on the rise or is this going to be a recurring theme, the inconsistencies, which you mentioned in the notes, and I, I think there's something to that, is if there's something you want to see more out of his game, it's probably consistency on a night-to-night basis. However... At the same time, it's funny the way that we talk about him because if you take a step back, if you were to take Pedersen off the nameplate and just show the case study from the player, you'd say, here is player X. He's 23 years old. He had a career high in points last year with 68. And in the second half of the season, he had 51 points in 43 games. You'd yeah. be like, where do I sign up? This guy sounds amazing. Totally, totally. Is, is he it's young? incredible that yes. he got to 32 goals with the way he played in the first half of the yeah. season. Now, we got a few texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, two words why he didn't have a good start. Travis Green. Now, I think he would push back on that. Maybe uh, he was referring to Travis Green where, he's, where he was talking about, um, you know, I was, I was too worried about what, Others, the other, how others wanted me to play, but remember, he continued to play not so good long after Travis Green had been fired. Mm-hmm. Bruce Boudreaux had been the coach for a while, and remember what we said when Bruce Boudreaux was hired, because we certainly didn't think that the Canucks were going to take any shot at the playoffs. We said Bruce Boudreaux's number one goal, number one objective, should be to salvage Petey, and it didn't happen overnight. The team played better. The team started getting some wins, but Petey did not play well right away under Bruce Boudreaux. Now, eventually Boudreaux might have helped him out. His positive message might have helped Petey, but I think if you listen to what Petey had to say, Petey got himself out of it. He found his way out. He really took off. It was basically, I mean, you look at the game logs from last year, and he kind of started to heat up a little bit at the end of December, but it was really January where it took off. Remember, Boudreaux took over the beginning of January. I do think that there's a correlation there between maybe the style that Boudreaux implemented and the approach. Because, And again, it was... I don't know, man. He was just like... He I, just completely, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying yeah, it turned around. I'm just saying know. it probably helped. It probably helped because it looked like everything was bad under Green when he got fired. People were down. Guys were down. Yeah. They looked stagnant. They sure. looked like they were thinking the game. I'm not saying that... Oh, look... The, the beauty of Boudreaux is in its simplicity, one. And two, look at everywhere that he's coached. The big stars mm. always thrive because you know what he says? These guys are great hockey players. I just let them play. And and I think there's something. Maybe. There's yeah. some validity to that. There's a reason that Ovi and Backstrom and Kuznetsov had monster offensive numbers under Boudreaux because he's like, just you're, you're better than this than I ever was. Go do your thing. And then... Anaheim, he had really good offensive performances out of the high-powered guys. Minnesota was a little bit of a different situation, but he still coaxed some really. Remember, what he, remember Eric Stahl? Yeah, like that. He manages to get guys to produce offensively. Did Boudreaux right. even coach Kuznetsov? <laughs> in in Washington, yeah. yeah, they must have overlapped during his time there. Whatever, doesn't really regardless. Matter. The guys that had the big offensive productions were the frontline no, guys. I, I, and I then, know what go, you sorry, mean. and I'll just continue to go last year. Take away Pedersen even out of the conversation as a one-on-one thing. I mean, look at the production that JT Miller had. Yeah, but right? we're talking about PD here. We're no, talking I know. about PD here and, and, and what happened to him last season and how he got out of it. Because remember, one of the big criticisms of PD was that when the team started to do well, PD was still pouting. 
Petey still looked like his body language was, uh, well, it didn't look like his body language. His body language was bad. And I remember thinking like, Petey, you gotta, you can't be doing that. You can't be pouting on the bench while your team is celebrating a win. Like that cannot happen. Which brings us to the question of what are expectations for Petey this season? And for me, it's not any specific point total. Like I actually hate doing that. Like Hmm. I expect like 80 points, right? Like, okay. I expect 80 points. It's, it's for me, it's just consistent excellence, right? Like consistent elite play. You can't be wondering if he's going to show up on any given night. And I will reiterate, no moping. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't let the losses get to you. Don't let the losses get get to you. Don't Turn let that them, frown. But it's not even the down. losses. You know, Andy, that was the thing. Like, he, he was – it was – it was. It became like he. I think he was too inwardly focused, right? And, and I get he has high expectations for himself, and I get that it's easier said than done not to show your frustration on the ice. It's funny. JT Miller has the same uh, challenge in some ways, and he's admitted that. You know, he he needs to maybe, um, well, he, we, we went over the whole JT Miller psychological thing, sure, yeah. uh, you know, a little while ago when, when he signed his extension, but he's admitted that he needs to maybe channel his emotions a little bit better. Um, just don't bring your teammates down on the bench. I think that's really important because if you've got anyone that's played a team sport, um, and the team has a goal but you've got a teammate on the bench beside you that is in his own head or um, just not in sync with the team, sure. it's distracting and yeah. it's bothering because you got to spend a lot of time like trying to bring that guy up too. Well, it's worth mentioning. You know, like, don't worry yeah. about it, man. Like, let's go. It's worth mentioning because they've got a guy in Pedersen who's awfully outward, outwardly demonstrative in his frustration with the... The face and the shoulders and, and how would you call it? call it? Skulking? Sulking? Maybe? That's yeah. a fair... Moping. You've got that. And you've also got JT Miller, who is also very outwardly demonstrative in his frustration. So it's probably a lot for the guys kind of stuck in between. Like, imagine being the... You know, like, these are the two grocery sticks on the outside. You're like, this is awful, right? Like, I don't... I, you know... So there, there's that, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I see where you're coming with that. For me, the expectations and the question that I have about expectations is... Can he play more than what he's playing right now? Because if you look at his ice time over his first three years in the NHL, he's an 18, 18 and a half minute per night guy, which is great. Well, remember early on in the season, he was playing about 14 yeah, minutes. Yeah, and it was like, <laughs> uh, you might even be getting less than that next if you don't pull this together. Like It was yeah. low, low. <laughs> now, I do wonder, one, if he's capable of playing extra minutes, and two, if it's even realistic with Horvat and Miller. In the lineup. Because, well, I think it is. Well, let, let me just tack it on. The first and second forwards in terms of ice time last year were Miller, who averaged 21 minutes a night, and Horvat, who averaged 19. And what has the team said about JT Miller's ice time? They want to decrease it. Yeah. So my, the first thing that popped into my mind, Grapes, was does that mean that PD all of a sudden starts to look like a 20-minute-a-night guy mm-hmm. like Miller's been and often more? Depends where he's in, where he's playing in the lineup. Depends if he's playing center. Depends if he's yep. penalty killing. Like that's, that's the big one for me is the so, penalty kill. Yeah, right? so so much of ice time. Like when Kessler was um, uh, on the Canucks, right? He played a lot of ice time, not just because he played a lot five on five. He was a part of the power play. He was a big part of the penalty kill, yeah. right? So special teams has a big role in that. Like I, uh, I, I, I know we're up against it for time, but like with the penalty kill, I'm like now completely of the mindset that your best players should be the ones doing it, and all of them should be getting cracks at it. Well, if they're good at it. 
if they're not, then try somebody else. Yeah. But it should be a I didn't really want to see the Sedins on the PK. Yeah, I, I disagree. If they were good at it, and I think No, but they wouldn't have been. Yeah, but if you're if you're good at it, the also the other thing too is like I, I look at how I feel like Brad Marshawn has almost kind of redefined what that job can be, what you can do in those minutes, because he's he becomes well, Datsuk did it. Like all these guys, really good players, all the Selkie guys have to kill penalties in order to win the Selkie. Right. Really. Just, yeah. I just look at it's funny because you look at the the high end offensive production that he gives you. Yeah. And on a team that's so top heavy and Boston, you'd kind of have the inclination, like, maybe we don't put him out there. Mm-hmm. There's the chance for injury, sure. you know, all that stuff. But then he goes out and uh, shorthanded is a real weapon, right? I'm not a big fan of shielding guys from injury. It's hockey. You yeah, gotta exactly. Play, you got to play the you game. You can get hurt doing it at any point. You got to play right? the game. So, anyway, uh, before we go to break, we got a couple things that we need to do. Actually, we're not doing that until 7 o'clock. I reread, I misread my timesheet. So I'll just let you know that coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, we are going to dabble into some footy talk. That's for Andrew and Victoria. Peter Galindo from Sportsnet is going to join us as we look ahead to the announcement of Canada's roster for these World Cup friendlies that are coming up. Uh, We have a big show ahead. We have lots of Canucks talk, lots of other things that we can get into as well. Thursday Night Football is just on the horizon, and we're going to talk some Denver Broncos with Connor McGahee, who is the PA announcer for the Broncos. We're also going to play some really cool audio from Pete Carroll yesterday where he was talking about the aftermath of the win against the Broncos and Russell Wilson and how it meant so much to guys that aren't even on the roster anymore in Seattle. It's a big show. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Thirty-three on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. If you want to visit them on the interweb, you got to go to avenuemachinery.ca or douglaslakeequipment.com. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. If you want to visit them, there's three places you can do it. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Uh, there will be a big announcement for Canada soccer today as the gaffer, John Herdman, announces his squad to take to a pair of friendlies in Austria against Uruguay and Qatar later this month. Joining us now to break down what that roster might look like and more, our good buddy from Sportsnet, Peter Galindo here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Peter? How are you? Good, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. So, first and foremost, when is this announcement supposed to take place today? Is it is it within the next few hours? Is it later this afternoon? What are we anticipating as a rollout from Canada Soccer here in John Herdman? Well, I think as you guys have probably learned, uh, these roster announcements tend to be pretty fluid in terms of the actual date. But right. based on what I was told, um, they could be expected, if, if it doesn't drop, basically by 9 a.m. Pacific or, you know, somewhere around that time, then it's going to probably end up being dropped kind of like mid-morning Pacific on Thursday. So if you don't see it by probably the end of your show, then chances are it's probably not going to come out. But again, with Canada soccer, you really do never know these things. 
Do we expect Canada or John Herdman to go with his strongest lineup in all these three remaining matches? I think that would be the the, the play right now, just because of what happened in June um, and, and the valuable time they lost. And I honestly would not be surprised if certain guys who were lacking match fitness, whether that's through injury or just not playing, still get call-ups. You know, Atiba Hutchinson hasn't debuted this season yet for Besiktas. Neither has Tejan Buchanan due to injury. Um, both of those guys are still expected to be called up. And the thought is, at least with Buchanan, because Canada Soccer is working very closely with Club Bruges with his recovery from a quad injury, um, that he will basically just kind of get back up to speed in that Canada camp, maybe get one or two appearances in those friendlies and then he'll come back to club bruges fresher than what he would have been had he come back say right now because they're taking their time with this given the uh, I, I guess fickleness of, of the muscle injury um so i guess they're kind of making a bit of a sacrifice now so that he's in better shape kind of come october november time leading up to that world cup the match fitness thing is the really central focus for everyone going into this because for the listeners that might not be aware Unlike previous World Cups, this one is going to be played in the winter, right in the middle of the domestic campaign. So it's a unique wrinkle for all the guys doing the selections because it's not the summer where everybody's finished their club season and they have some time to rest and recuperate and get ready. This is smack in the middle of the Premier League and Serie A and La Liga and what have you. So figuring out not just who's on your squad, but who's playing well and who's in form is an important thing. So let's turn our attention there. Uh, there are some Canadian guys that have done well this season and logged a lot of minutes. Alistair Johnson in MLS, Kamal Miller in MLS, Jonathan David in the French League has been you know solid as well. There's one guy, though, that's really shot onto the scene and been doing big things, and that's Stefan Eustachio with Porto in the Portuguese mm. League. Uh, tell us a little bit about him, because I know you just wrote about him for Sportsnet.ca. Yeah, he's been excellent in his last four starts now for Porto because he got the start yesterday in, in what was a pretty devastating loss to uh, Laren and uh, <laughs> Buchanan's Club Bruges yesterday. But um, he, he's been excellent since he's been called upon. And, and you know, it, it's kind of that classic example of one man goes down with an injury, another one steps up, kind of takes his place and goes from there because Marco Grujic, who was ahead of Estacchio in the pecking order at Porto, was the regular starter next to Mateo Suribe. Now, Grujic got hurt, so Estacchio steps in in the league match just before their Champions League opener, does very well, gets two assists. Then he gets his Champions League debut against Atletico Madrid away, of all situations, does very well there, probably the best player on the pitch, just in terms of how you know he, he calmly orchestrates things. He steps in defensively, which I think is probably one of his more underrated characteristics. And the thought was, okay, Grujic is back. He'll probably end up getting dropped to the bench now, and then Grujic will step back into the lineup. But he stayed despite that. So he's very much taken the opportunities. And what I find, I think, the most intriguing about this is we, anyone who's watched Estacchio, even just recently, they'll see him as that anchor in the midfield who kind of calmly orchestrates things, who, who, who very much you know, is the quarterback in a lot of ways for that national team. But with Porto in the last, I don't know, four or five games, he's been chipping in a lot more offensively now. Like he's been almost playing as a box to box type in this midfield duo that Porto has. And that's crucial for Canada because they've 
also utilized a, a double pivot in the midfield in mm-hmm. recent games. So if Eustachio is comfortable going up and down the pitch and maybe chipping in with the odd, you know, through ball into the box or, you know, even a shot or two, and he's actually come close to scoring in a couple of games here, that's going to really help that midfield thrive, whether they play with two in the midfield or three in the midfield, really. Peter, how will these three pre-tournament opponents help Canada against their three World Cup opponents? It's Qatar, Uruguay, and Japan ahead of Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. Yeah, so Qatar is a a team that I guess will almost mimic Morocco in a lot of ways because they like to keep the ball. That They do play a style that's easy on the eye. So I guess in a way that will help Canada sort of, I guess, approach a team that might like to keep possession. But they are also dangerous in transition, Qatar. Uh, Their big issue is they haven't always been the most composed finishers. And that cost them at the Gold Cup. That cost them at Copa America when they were invited teams to both of those tournaments. Um, But it will still be a, a pretty solid test because they are a very polished side, despite what maybe some might think about them on paper. Um, Uruguay will, I feel, be a very good test in terms of what they can expect from Croatia because you look at some of the midfielders that Uruguay has, led by Federico Valverde, who just won the Champions League with Real Madrid and is on absolute fire right now to start the season. Um, they're going to very much dictate the, the tempo and the overall game with that midfield. And Croatia is probably going to do the same thing. So that's going to test them. They're also very defensively sound, which Croatia can be off the ball. So that will probably test out things for Croatia. And then Japan is almost a mixture of every team because they like to press high. They like to play fast paced. They're very technically adept. They, um, you know, they, they are quite organized off the ball as well. And if you'll recall four years ago at, the, at that World Cup, they very nearly knocked out Belgium if it wasn't for a late collapse. So they're going to be a a very stern test and probably the perfect team to play leading up to that World Cup, considering who they're going to have to face right off the bat. Uh, What happens with Atiba Hutchinson moving forward? Uh, The 39-year-old, as you mentioned, hasn't played at all. This is a lingering issue with injuries, kept him out of the Besiktas lineup. He's such an important emotional and leader-type presence with the Canadian national team, but Given his age, given the fact that he hasn't played much, I, I'm really curious how this is going to play out. How do you see it playing out with him, both in these friendlies and then at the World Cup in Qatar? Yeah, the, the, the Hutchinson situation is interesting because he stays at Besiktas for another year to essentially prepare himself for the World Cup. Then he gets hurt. And then Besiktas starts to sign a bunch of foreign players. And the issue with this is there are only a certain amount of foreign spots in the Turkish League. So when they added Nathan Redmond recently, they had to choose a player to deregister. And Atiba Hutchinson was looking to be that player. So everyone was, of course, panicking over in Canada because, oh, my God, he's not going to play. But then they ended up freezing the contract of Tyler Boyd. So Hutchinson is fine. He's expected to be back, I believe, uh, in a couple of weeks for Besiktas, which sort of lines up with right after the international break. So I would imagine he'll almost be in the same boat as Buchanan and that he'll get called up to this national team camp. And then he'll probably feature, I don't know, maybe for like a half an hour, 45 minutes in either or both games. And then he'll come into Besiktas fresh 
And I think as long as he gets even 20 to 30 minutes off of the bench, similar to what Stefan Ostakio was getting before he got this run of starts, I think that's fine. Because while Hutchinson might not have the same sort of pace or, or the same amount of, of, I mean, let's just call it what it is, athleticism mm-hmm. that he would have had five, six years ago, he makes up for it with how he reads the game quickly and, and, and his on-the-ball characteristics. And as long as he's getting a decent enough rhythm, that's going to help him maintain that. Because even though he may not be able to cover the same amount of ground, when you get him on the ball, it's very, very hard to stop him. Uh, do you think we'll see any surprises on this roster, both going into the friendlies or at the World Cup? Because uh, John Herdman, during the World Cup qualification process, also kind of played a sly hand in getting guys captive. Ike Ugbo was the big one that they brought in at striker, getting him into the Canadian colors. I know that there was a particular uh, young Serbian player, a dual national, that some thought might be going with Canada. Walk us through that and then what you might expect if there are going to be any surprises or call-ups coming to Canada for the friendlies and then the World Cup in Qatar. Well, with Mitrovic, Stefan Mitrovic, the, the Serbian-Canadian dual national that you touched on there, Mike, um, he was very much in limbo because he really did not know what country he was going to go with. Um, now, he was called up to what was at the time a January camp, just before those um, you know, USA, Honduras, and El Salvador qualifiers that proved to be pretty pivotal for Canada qualifying. Um, but it got canceled due to the rise of COVID-19 cases around the holidays. And he ended up not coming. So he was still very much up in the air in terms of what was going to happen. And over the summer, he actually was reached out to by the Federation and John Herdman specifically. And he began the process of filing his one-time switch of nationality. Because even though he was born in um he he was born in what was the former yugoslavia but he was raised in canada from the age of about one or two and he was captied by serbia's youth national teams and then from there because he had played an official competition you then have to file the one-time switch so that was in the process of happening but then serbia caught wind of this and then they apparently and this is what i was told they improved their offer significantly I don't really know what that entails. I <laughs> would imagine that means he's probably guaranteed a World Cup spot, something okay. that, to Herdman's credit, he has been very careful not to do with these dual nationals because he doesn't want to disrupt that quote-unquote brotherhood, which right. I completely get. Yep. Um, so it, it is a, a bit of a loss because I think Mitrovic would have really helped the teams attack a lot. But there are still some other players who could be candidates to get called up for this camp. I Look at maybe Daniel Jevison, who you know scored in his first Premier League goal at 17 a couple of years ago. Now he's in the Championship of Sheffield United. He's eligible for England, has played for England's youth national teams. Um, he could be a name that could get called up. I could see Ismail Kone from CF Montreal, who's had a breakout season, get a call up, just given the, the questions surrounding the midfield in this camp, because mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Osorio is, is kind of recovering from some concussion issues. Mark Anthony Kay isn't really sharp. We know the issues with Hutchinson and whatnot. So maybe bringing in someone who's in better shape, just in terms of match fitness, not to mention someone who it could be good for the future, and maybe even an impact player at the World Cup could be the way to go. Peter, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy parsing through the Canadian roster whenever it comes out, and we'll be doing this again. Let's do this again as we get closer to those two friendlies in Austria. 
Absolutely. And maybe another uh, avid about soccer podcast there. Yeah, we got to get that done too. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's uh, Peter Galindo, Sportsnet's very own. And of course, the avid about soccer podcast here on the Halford Rough Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, the, the, the international thing with regards to like basically changing countries has become really fascinating in the last few years because FIFA's redone the rules so that if you're inactive, uh, and this is a real broad strokes, it's much more detailed than this, but essentially, yeah, if you are inactive with your country for three years, it kind of opens up the option to maybe explore some other parts of your nationality. So wait a minute, in theory, I could play for England. I've When's been, the last time you were capped by Canada? Four years ago. So you're good to go. Yeah. Call Southgate. You can play center back. All oh, you have to do honestly, is yeah, yeah. You might be able to. All you have to do is get past Stones and or Maguire. Okay. Uh, back to the as someone texted in, can you put on the Canucks game midway through that interview? We will get back to the Canucks because there was other news yesterday. Not just Petey meeting with the media at uh, Scotia Barn in Burnaby. Quinn Hughes taking a twirl on the right side of the defense with Oliver ekman Larson, and that kind of raised some eyebrows. We'll talk to Quadrelli, David Quadrelli from Canucks Army, later on around 7.45 about that, but that was something that had caught a lot of people's eye and kind of made some rumblings yesterday. Yeah, there's two aspects to this. Um, would that pairing work? And the other question I would have is, how do the other pairings shake out? So let's try and tackle the first one, okay. OEL and Hughes. What would that pairing be? Like, do you know what I mean? It would obviously be their top pairing, yep. but would that also be their matchup pairing? Would they have a shutdown pairing? This is, this is something that I, I think is really important to have is that let's say you've got a lead in the third period. Hopefully, fingers crossed that the Canucks experience that next yep. season yep. at some point. Who are you putting out on the ice against the other team's best players? Like, for example, Bieksa and Hughes. Yep. That was we're a shutdown, a shutdown pair. pair for the Canucks, and they did an excellent job with that. Now, the Canucks also had some really good defensive forwards in Ryan Kessler, Alex Burrows, those types of players. But we're talking about the defense here. Who would be your shutdown pair? Perhaps it could be Hughes and OEL. Would you shuffle the pairs if you need to have Well, that's a possibility, that? right? Because I'm just looking at the rest of the guys there. And let's say Hughes and OEL works. For whatever reason, it just works. It's a good It's a good pairing. How did the others shake out? So there's five remaining guys um, that I can think of right now. Um, we're going to allow that probably Noah Juleson and guys like that aren't going to fight for an opening day mm -hmm. uh, roster spot. Tyler Myers is probably not going to be healthy scratched. But then you've got Rathbone, Shen, Poolman, and Dermott. So that adds up to seven defensemen. Who the question was Rathbone probably, and because it's the easiest decision to make. Yeah. Because he doesn't have the experience of the other guys. And really, if you're looking at it, um, you have to, at least at the start of the year, reward Shen for what he gave you last year, I would say. Unless he's lost oh. all semblance of foot speed. Here's the thing, though. I think the best guys for Shen to be paired with are Quinn Hughes and or Jack Rathbone. Yeah, that's the problem, right? I mean, if you're going to go, and who knows if this OEL Hughes things lasts beyond yesterday. Yeah, sure. But yeah. Um, theoretically speaking, if Hughes is going to be 
the kind of defenseman that I think that they want him to be, mm-hmm. which is the sort of next version of Duncan Keith, which is what he wants to be, yep. then he's going to have to be a shutdown guy. Remember, at his peak, at his prime and his prowess, Duncan Keith was on the top pair in Chicago with Brent Seabrook, but that was their shutdown pair. Yeah. And it wasn't a, I mean, Seabrook was a little bit more of a traditional. Jalmerson was a bit of a shutdown guy too. He was but an yeah, excellent defense. But Keith didn't play with him that much. Like it yeah. was, it was, and then when Seabrook kind of fell off a cliff, they plugged Nick Letty in. Mm. So it wasn't a traditional shutdown pair in terms of the physical stature of the guys, but it was, hey, he's our best defenseman. This is a role that he ha- It's almost the inverse, right? It's not like he's not suited for this, but the job of being a number one defenseman is suited for being on the ice in crucial minutes, protecting a lead. Oh, Keith was excellent defensively. And that's right. what, that's what you know, it, I, I don't think that if, if you're not good defensively, if you can't be put out there in a defensive situation, which is you're protecting a lead, and the other team has its best guns out there, and mm-hmm. the other team is throwing all caution to the wind, and they're just going for it. If you're not available in that sort of position, then you shouldn't be part of the Norris conversation. Right. I, 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 I really do believe that, and I think that's why Duncan Keith was such a valuable player, and Zdeno Chara was such a valuable player. Lidstrom, like he was always in that situation. What we don't want Quinn Hughes to be, and I don't think he will be, is a guy like Keith Yandel. Where you're like, he's great offensively. Sure. Period. Yeah, and that's that's exactly why I'm saying Poor Keith Yandel always gets kind of. Hey, you don't want to be Keith Yandel. Yeah, he's. We've used him in a number of ways for as an example, not in a positive way. Sorry, Keith. Um, I I look at this and I say, you almost have to spoon feed's not the right word, but I'll use it anyway. You almost have to spoon feed Hughes that role and those minutes because the only way he's going to be able to get his reps and get better at it is getting the reps and getting better at it. You can't just assume that, well, we'll throw him out here in this situation when he hasn't played it excessively and extensively. If that happens to come with OEL, great. If it's with a bunch of other guys, okay. I think situationally, if you're able to flip him from side to side, it really gives you a a plethora of options. I mean, if you're late in the game, it's like, okay, take a twirl with Pullman, take a twirl with Shen, take take a twirl with Myers, and then you become the de facto presence, but you've got other guys playing alongside of you that can go and shut down. There's quite a few wild cards, actually, uh, on this Canucks defense. Uh, Rathbone is obviously a big wild card. We, d- we don't even know if he's going to make the team out of camp. We assume he is, and I think he's got the uh, inside lane or the pole position on that on, on a spot uh, on the Canucks. Um, Pullman is a wild card just because of his health, mm-hmm. but also his play. I feel like we never even really got a good handle on what he was as a player, what he could be. Uh, Travis Dermott, we saw in limited action, I would say. I mean, he was acquired late in the season. Uh, We saw him a little bit, but I don't feel like I got a handle of what he is. Dermott, no. Uh, And And that's not to be negative. I just don't really have a good grasp on what he brings. Or or where where he'll fit. And then Luke Shen, uh, we know what he is. And hopefully he can keep providing that, but you've got the whole age thing and is he going to slow down? And what is his role on the Canucks going to be? Because his role on the Canucks last season, and he played it very well, was just Quinn Hughes' partner, mm-hmm. right? And he was a good fit with Quinn Hughes, but we all acknowledge like long-term this is not going to be the fit because he's Luke Shen, right? Yep. And, and, and Quinn Hughes is going to be in a, 
in a top pairing role, hopefully. And you don't want Luke Shen, like no disrespect to Luke Shen. I love what he brings. You don't want to play in the top four if you, if you want to be a good team. Text it well, before we go to break. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. OMG, the texter writes. Do I believe what I'm hearing with two two question marks? Quinn Hughes in a shutdown role. That's laughable. You know he's the worst defensive demon on the team, right? Another two question marks and another OMG. Thank you, thirteen year old girl. Um, here's the thing. I do know that Quinn Hughes might be the leakiest defensive player on the team, uh, defender on the team. I also know he's the best defenseman on the team. <laughs> he's not the leakiest defender on the team. Did you watch the season last year? Okay, I, if, like, we're, if we're just going to throw it, opi- if we're just going to throw it opinions and I, whatever this is, let's just kind of take the genesis of it, which is he needs work on his defensive game. Maybe he's not the strongest he took, defensive he, defenseman. He took a great step last season. I'm just saying, and I'm, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Just to focus on this. Um, it's where you say it's laughable in a shutdown role. You need to find out if he can be that and grow into it. Not every young defenseman comes into the NHL as an elite defensive defenseman. Yeah. That's often the part of the game that they need to learn and to grow into, especially physically, because a lot of, especially now, young defensemen come in with an, an immaculate level of skill. I don't even think ability. it's physical either. Like I, I nope. hate to be disagreeing with you on all these things. Like y- y- the most important thing defensively is positional and having a good stick. Yep, I agree. I'm just saying, um, Duncan Keith was never was never a a like. Wow, Duncan Keith, he's so big and strong and powerful, right? He was just a really smart, intense hockey player. Yeah, I was gonna say his hits weren't physical; they were just dirty and high often. But, yes. Um, as it all, I'm saying with Hughes, and I don't know why we got such pushback on this, although I know people have a hard time listening is uh, he needs to be that, right? We talked about what does Pedersen need to be? Well, he needs to be an elite offensive center that's also got a great two-way game that is hopefully in the Selkie conversation. The Canucks need so much more <laughs> yeah. two-way ability. So and your best players really have to be two-way horses. What did JT Miller say? He needs to be better defensively. Most of the Canucks' best players, mm-hmm. most of the Canucks' core needs to get better defensively. Yeah. So uh, that's a bow on that conversation for now. We are going to switch back to the NFL, specifically uh, the the lingering memories, the good times that we all had from the Seahawks win over the Broncos. We thought, why not bring on someone from the Broncos side of things? So coming up, Connor McGahee, who's the PA announcer of the Denver Broncos, he's going to join us next as we talk about what happened on Monday Night Football. We'll talk about Nathaniel Hackett's apology. I guess you could call it that yesterday, where he acknowledged yeah, maybe that 64-yard field goal at the end of the game wasn't the right idea. We'll get into all that next with Connor McGahee here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.